0: Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 59 of your bi-weekly Motorific podcast. Thank you for coming back. Uh, We've got an action-packed episode with a bunch of stories and then we have a hot topic to chat about and um, some events that happened over the last couple weeks that are, I think, worth mentioning and some race news, whatever else we feel like chatting about. Um, As always, I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Christy Farrell and myself, Joanne. For 59, we're going to start off with a few stories and updates and some congratulations. Then we're going to talk about something that um, just kind of came up this week, but certainly is always an ongoing topic when it comes to women's gear. I also want to give a little bit of insight as to why um, things are the way they are, and just a couple of other issues that came up when I posted this on Facebook. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's start off with a couple of stories. So, first story that I came across. Oh, I, and I forgot to—I think I forgot to mention this to you as well. Was did you see my first link about um, fatality report, fatality statistics, motorcycle fatalities? No. So um, this came out on Motorcycle Power Sports News, which is an industry website. And um, supposedly, uh, the number of motorcyclists killed in traffic crashes declined by 6.4% from 2012 to 2013. And that's according to the NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And that's they also said the number of injuries of injured people, excuse me, dropped 5.4%. And that's what the AMA reports. So I think that's great. It's always that's always good, right? When fatalities go down, um, that's always a good thing. Uh, I don't know, you know, how we attribute that, or like how you figure out who's to thank <laughs> for that. But um,
1: since tracking stats in the motorcycle industry is so difficult, it yeah. would be hard to really come up with one solid answer to that question.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess all we can say is. Good the great. This is great that uh, vitalities are down. Um, I mean, it could be anything from there's more people, I don't know, more people tr- getting better training, or there could also be maybe less bikes were sold, so there's less vehicles on the road or weather. Like, I know that last year, the year that the polar vortex hit, um, the East less c- Coast. Less people riding, right? <laughs> yeah, there was a decline in people riding because the winter started really early for people. So I wonder if that number correlates with that because less people on the road, less people dying. Um,
1: also, is it a percentage or is it number of people? Because as as you have your chart where the amount of riders increases, yeah, if it's percentage based on you know, total ridership that's going down, then that's good. Because total ridership is going up, you would imagine, year after year. And so if the percentage is going down, then that would be positive. But if they're looking at just numbers...
0: They're just looking it looks like, number of incidents. So they reported in 2013, 4,668 motorcyclist fatalities were reported, down 318 from the 4,986 reported in 2012.
1: So that's good then.
0: It's, I think it's good. And then they because also, because you said, can
1: assume that there are more riders. So
0: you would think that would be, yeah. yeah. And then, um, also 88,000 occupants were reported to have been injured in crashes, motorcycle crashes in 2013, down from 93,000. So I guess passengers is what they mean by that. So it's a good thing. Anything we can do to encourage more safety, better safety, um, and bring those numbers down is always a good thing. So motorcycling is getting safer. So you can tell people, hey, fatalities <laughs> are down last year. The uh, far less chance of me of me getting hurt or dying now.
1: Maybe not so much motorcycling <sighs> getting safer as much as perhaps other people being more aware. Yes. Like I mean, yeah, you, could be that too. Literally, you could do you could look at it a thousand different ways. Better yep. gear, you know. Yeah. As opposed to less injuries or just more awareness in terms of. Uh, vehicle campaigns to say, hey, slow down. You know, look for bikers before you change lanes.
0: Maybe all of it. Whoever we have to thank. It's a good thing. Thank you. (laughs) Um, The other thing that happened also in the last week was that Polaris, who owns Victory and... Climb. And Climb and Can-Am. Correct. They bought Bramo, So they are going they i believe also they were a um, major contributor investor excuse me to they Brahma were already. a
1: strategic investor since 2011 so they already had their they hands had a in minority. the pot yeah. yeah they had a minority investment cuz i remember when i started working with climb they had said so they'd gotten discounts on bramo <laughs> so and i was like wait a second so if polaris bought Brammo, didn't they already have a stake in it and it took me a while of surfing to finally confirm that
0: mm-hmm. so good for them but yeah I wonder what
1: that yeah, means. Yeah, I mean, Polaris, at least as far as when they purchase Climb, they really like purchasing companies that have very distinct technology that they can let continue down their successful path as well as collaborate on them with projects for their other uh, things that they own, for their other companies. So yeah. this, this doesn't surprise me, and now mm-hmm. they have a, a good stake in the electric vehicle market. So I can only assume that that will be applied to some of their four-wheeled operations that they have as well as, uh, you know, continually supporting the electric motorcycle market.
0: Yeah. So what else has gone on in the acquisition world? Let's see. The other thing I wanted to mention was Cycle Gear, the online store that you um, know about. And of course, they have a whole chain of stores across the country was also sold, or bought out, I guess, by one of their major investors. And I forgot the name of the company. It's not a OEM like Polaris, but it was just, I think, some investment company. Um, So now they have a majority uh, stake in the company. So I wonder what that means in terms of... um, I guess how the company world will change in the next few years like for me cycle gear of six or seven years ago was a totally different cycle gear than what it is now um when i first started shopping for gear and bikes uh that's where i went and it was actually a pretty big store in san francisco and it still is the same location over there and But it was a different kind of store, like they had different stuff, and I actually liked what they had at that time, and and liked shopping there, and of course that all changed when I started working at Scuderia, but I'm just not a fan of where they are right now in terms of the gear they offer and that sort of thing um, in their stores. But it looks like they were purchased by a private equity firm, and um, let's see. It looks like the top level um, board of directors will pretty much stay the same and there's a new chairman um i wonder what that means for like the ceo of the company is he still going to be the ceo will be run by different people like you know i wonder how that shapes the future of cycle garrett should be interesting because they have so many stores they serve a really good role in the writing community to offer you know at least to be in places um, that you may not be able to find gear elsewhere, but in my opinion, they don't offer the right variety, at least for women, definitely. Um, and I, they could do, I think they could just do a better job in that, in that regard. And even for men too, they could, you know, provide a, a a better assortment or just a different variety of what they offer.
1: You know, it has been such a long time since I've wandered into a store that Mm -hmm. has a variety of products because in the past, whenever I did that, it was nothing I was ever interested in.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So, consequently, wah, 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 (laughs) first world problems. But uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much I've uh, resigned myself to having to hit either online and deal with the shipping back and forth or individual stores. So... Which actually reminds me, I went out to Beach Moto yesterday.
0: Mm, How was that?
1: Hoping to see if I could try on a couple pair of the Revit uh, jeans for women. And they actually don't carry them because they don't like the fitment. So they carry speedy jeans. Hmm. So I figured, well, okay, you know, why not? Went over there. Man, did not like the style on those jeans. And... They got – they looked – personally on me, they looked a little bit better when you took out the hip armor Mm -hmm. because the problem for me has always been my waist to hip is totally different. Mm -hmm. I'm not built like a box and so – Jeans, for me, always sit better on the hip. But when you have the hip armor in these speedy jeans, you basically have that, like, paper bag effect Mm -hmm. where, like, the actual waistband is closer to my natural waist. And so there's just, like, extra free-flowing whatever. But when you take the hip armor out, I can pull them down a little bit. But even though they looked okay the design was just really weird in the crotch. Like they didn't want to have denim all over. And so they put like kind of a stretchy material, kind of like you see on Dainese uh, leathers where you've got like the V where your
0: V is. (laughs) Instead of, Oh man, it It was just so wrong.
1: and, And it was, it had this kind of, uh, funky shine like the material mm. the fabric was like something shiny was built into the actual denim and i just i couldn't do it even if it's for a press launch i, I just oh, i can't i want to wear something i want to get something that i'm gonna wear more than once so skip on the speedy have not tried the revit have do you, you do you feel comfortable with, like, a comparison as to how the Revit jeans fit versus how their um, other pants fit? Yes. Like, if so I wore 38, would it be, you know, the same translation?
0: You mean 28?
1: I think I'm 38.
0: No, in the inches? No. That's a man. No, their sizing. No, their size is all... Am w- 28? Yeah, yes, 28. Because their sizing oh. is all in um, measured size from, yeah, 24 all the way up to 34. Just like Levi's, you know, waisted. So, um, yes, 28, because mm-hmm, 38 would be a very large man. But I thought it Euro. No. The jeans are sized in waist measurements. The clothing, yeah, jackets and pants will be Euro 34, 38. But the jeans... That's what I'm saying. I am jeans, a 38 in
1: everything else.
0: So that has that. no correlation. You'll you'll be a okay. probably a 28 in the jeans. However, um, they have two pairs. And the more expensive ones, there's Broadway and Madison, and Mm -hmm. the expensive one fits tighter in the hips. And for me, I had to go a full size up from 28 to 29. And then the less expensive one is hippier and a little fuller cut and a higher rise, so I could stick to my usual 28. I had to stick to, I got to, I could wear my usual, Uh, waist sized jeans because they're not vanity sized they're measured size so you have to measure your waist and then go with that number but in each of those i would order a slightly different size so i can i can talk to you offline about that but the fit's great on them i the problem with them is not the fit the problem with them is the knee armor there if you if you hold up a pair with armor in them the pockets sit on your shins practically Uh. they're just really low and I don't understand why and it's the same problem on their men's jeans as Hmm. well they sit really low so unless you have a long hip to knee length um, you'll find the armor sags a little and that's why I can't wear them I'd wear them otherwise but the armor pockets are completely off the mark for me and even when I sit they still sag too low so I think they need to fix that. But if you're really tall and you have a long, you know, really long leg, then it's great because I have fit them pretty well and in, in very tall people. That's the fit issue is they're just really, really long. So it sucks for anyone who has a short inseam because even if you can order, well, the ladies ones come in a stock 32 inch inseam, some 34, I think. But the problem isn't the inseam length. It's the pocket placement, the armor pocket placement. So. Hmm. just means you have to wear knee guards over, which, you know, some people are happy to do. So you could always do that if you need to. But for you, yeah. I bet they'll fit in the right place. I bet they'll sag a little, just a touch, but I don't think they're going to be as far off as they were for me. But yeah, can... the only
1: the only problem with me is that when I'm not actually buying something out of pocket, I need to try it on because when the manufacturer ships it to me for any kind of media-related thing, oh, I'm well, stuck with whatever they send.
0: Request a few sizes. See if they'll send you at least two sizes and then send back, mm. tell them you'll send it back. It doesn't hurt to ask them that question instead That's of true. assuming. I will. Ask them. But um, I can.
1: Maybe I had less clout in the past. <laughs>
0: maybe, just ask. Like, can you yeah. please send me this or whatever and um, measure your waist and then order, I'd order a size up maybe in the more expensive one. But um, fit, I don't know anything about the speedy jeans because we don't carry those. So, yeah. Um you could also I'm try the Dainese. I'm pretty sure Beach jeans. Moto.
1: Yeah, I need to do that just because I know I can go try them on there because they have them in stock, but uh I think that's Beach Moto is like the only place that carries Speedy. They've does, really branched out. He's branched out a lot since you've been out here.
0: Does he have any Dainese jeans?
1: Uh no. Yeah. Probably doesn't. He does carry a lot of like Dainese leathers, racing leathers. Not jeans. Not a lot of textile.
0: Yeah. And I still-
1: except for uh the Drake Airs. He does carry those because they're such a great seller, but, um, mm-hmm. he has climb, he has mm-hmm. speedy Love everything, and I know he's got one more brand, brand that I saw, maybe even Cortec.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Try that. Try the, definitely try the D store. Try those. Yeah. Um, if they have any of the D ones left, cause they're on closeout, you should try those, but okay. they'll, they'll probably want you to wear the new stuff. Cause they have four, three, four new ladies jeans coming out next month or in the next couple months. Um, at least available to purchase. They're kind of coming in slow, um, but I've only seen one in person, so I I, I mm. need to when they come in we'll have them, and then I can check them out. Cool. So you want to give us a uh, rally update? You want to give our friends some news?
1: Sure. Well, now that now that Dakar is over and we had a couple of special requests for hey, you know Dakar, why mm-hmm. don't you cover it more? And when you do, talk about it. Why don't you know a little bit more before you start going down the point of no return? So, thank you to those who pointed out that uh, (laughs) the Dakar actually has motorcycles below 500cc. Um, And yes, we did do a little research. Uh, Based on the 2015 event, there were 168 motorcyclists that started in the Dakar. Out of the 168, 77 riders did not finish at various stages of the race for whatever reason, whether they... Quit, withdrew, mechanical failure. Uh, One gentleman from Poland on one of the earlier stages died. So Mm, there was one death out of those. And uh, as far as, okay, well, the top five guys, how far are they apart in a race like this? Well, the top five finishers were about an hour apart. So maybe the first guy finishes, the next guy comes in at 20 minutes after, the next guy 38, the next guy 45. So, I mean, it's... It's nothing like GP where you're talking seconds, and uh, I can't commentate for previous uh, rallies, but I wonder if there were ever any that were just so close that two people were like within sight of each other finishing. That would be really interesting. Um, Mark Coma, who is from Catalonia in Spain, took the win, along with Portugal's Paulo Goncalves and Australia's Toby Price rounding out the podium. Out of those 168 riders that signed up for Dakar, two of them were females, and both of them were Spanish. And the first is uh, Leia Sands, who placed ninth overall. That's right, boys, out of 168 riders, a female placed in the top ten out of all of them, which, you know, when you look at statistics, is pretty damn awesome. Um, we're not talking like 155 out of 168. We're talking top ten. So she is 29 and also hails from Catalonia, which is home to her competitor, uh, Mark Coma, as well as uh, GPs uh, Mark Marquez and Danny Pedrosa. Leia started riding when she was four years old and competed in trials at a young age. And about five years ago, she basically got bored of being such a badass in women's competitions, (laughs) uh, being the trials world champion several years, that she set her sights on competing with men in basically Dakar, the fiercest off-roading competition in motorcycling. So five years of Dakar's later, so this is her fifth Dakar she did this year in 2015, she joined Honda's factory team this year and raced in several rallies in the off-season, including Merzuga in Morocco, where she was the first woman to win a timed stage in an international rally. So definitely someone to watch in terms of off-roading events. Someone did ask her if she had any interest in doing road racing, and she just uh, enjoyed the fact that there was not a lot of monotony in off-roading. But it was the courses are constantly changing and it's not basically the same loop over and over again. So Mm -hmm. she definitely sounds like someone who gets bored easily and needs to be challenged and good on her to place ninth out of 168. I'm still very.
0: That's a good way to be challenged. A really, really hard way. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And uh, definitely the second female competitor, uh, who is uh, Rosa Romero, I believe her last name is um, she placed 52nd overall out of 168. and she uh, actually has like a really cool story, in my opinion. I know Leia gets a lot of press, and, and rightfully so. Um, Rosa is a 45-year-old married mother of three, nice, and a full-time telecommunications engineer, also Spanish. And the 2015 Dakar rally was her fourth Dakar. And I have to definitely give some respect to Rosa, who clearly has a full calendar with a marriage, children, a full-time mm-hmm. job, full-time let alone training. Job. Yeah, exactly. Let alone training for the Dakar, which can't just be, a, you know, one day of riding a month and dirt. Um, I can barely handle a full-time job, riding and a podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> excellent job, Rosa. Um, You also deserve just as much praise for uh, fitting that into your schedule and showing mothers out there Mm -hmm. that you can actually, you know, you can balance this stuff. You can ride. You can follow your passion. Um, So getting down to the exactly Mm -hmm. and getting down to the bikes, Um, we did a little bit of research to make up for our last snafu. Uh, The Dakar, for example, the KTM's, the Dakar KTM 450s. Uh, are very similar to their motocross versions, of which I was treated to Supercross last night, so more on that later, Um, but not exactly the same. Fuel tanks on the KTM 450s are the biggest difference, since a motocross race runs about 40 minutes long, while an endurance rally can be hundreds of miles without a fuel stop. So when you think of the weight disparity between the motocross and the Dakar versions, which is... 240 pounds for the motocross and over 380 pounds for the Dakar. A lot of that is fuel. Mm-hmm. There's only a one and a half gallon tank on the motocross bike and a nine gallon tank on the Dakar. So I think I have like maybe a four gallon tank on the BMW. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, extra weight. Other extra weight sources include mods for comfort, because obviously a motocross bike has a tiny little bench seat, and if you're going to sit on a Dakar bike all day long, that's probably not what you want to do. A large instrument panel with GPS, very beefed-up radiators that are aimed to keep the engines cool to accommodate uh, constant performance at top speed. So, that said, the spread of motorcycles for the car are predominantly big name manufacturers like KTM, Honda, Yamaha, and Kawasaki. I noted a few Suzuki's and Hoosaberg and Husqvarna, which are both subsidiaries know. of KTM.
0: So, you basically car. have
1: KTM and then two uh, KTM owned brands that are also competing. So, you have basically KTM on three different. You know, three different manufacturer levels. Mm-hmm. And then there are a couple of bikes from lesser-known manufacturers, uh, such as the Spanish Gas Gas Company, known for their trials bikes here in the U.S., and Sherco TVS. And TVS, if you've heard me talk about that or us talk about it in news in the past, is a Indian-made a manufactured motorcycle. So, uh, So Roger from Australia caught me on Twitter and... Hopefully, uh, he is happy with our Dakar (laughs) wrap-up since he specially requested, hey, you know, there's this girl named Leia and she's really awesome. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for bringing her to our attention.
0: Well, we have to congratulate the winner of the Dakar, of course. The overall winner. Mark Coma. yeah. Yes, and I believe it's his fifth title. Please correct me if I'm wrong about that. Um, he's raced for KTM in previous years and, uh. He was, of course, a nice front runner. He didn't win last year, I believe, but um, Mark Coma was very popular and well-known in the Dakar world. I want to say I watched him. You
1: did win his fifth. You're correct.
0: Yeah, I want to say in the last Dakar rally, I was watching one of the update, you know, 30-minute whatever um, episodes, and he pulled over to fix his bike. He had to replace and swap out some components, because you know your mechanic's not like riding with you so he you have to know I think how to fix your bike if you need to in a a minute and he took out some part of the engine from his co-riders bike so that he could go on and keep riding it was just really cool because he just like whoops out his tools and he's like just putting it all back together and then off he went it's pretty amazing um Oh, I was gonna ask. Do we know if Leia has competed in any of the like Baja or Mexican one thousand type rallies? I don't think so. I wonder if um, she will. Based She's on America. what I read about her,
1: it's yeah. a lot of uh, it's a lot of Morocco and mm-hmm. Middle East, Libya. I think I saw something. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I'm not.
1: I'm not well versed enough in Baja to know how complicated they're courses mm. but what she mentioned in an interview with Cycle World was that she she's kind of disappointed with uh, the Dakar moving having to move mm-hmm. to South America because the amount of mileage of sand is greatly reduced the sand mm-hmm. dunes compared to what's available in uh, in morocco and in uh, north africa where mm. it was previously before threats pushed it to south america i think there's only 185 miles where there used to be substantially a lot more so i don't know if that factors into the reason why she hasn't come down for baja but she mm. does or i don't know if johnny campbell still races with honda but She's been working a lot with him, and she came out and did a stint at the X Games because he is uh, from California, from Southern California. And so I think her intent is to train a little bit more around here. So maybe that, you know, would enable her to uh, check out Baja 1000 if that's something that's of interest to
0: her. Yeah, seems really cool. Well, good for her. Congratulations.
1: It's actually not even 30 and kicking ass. It's pretty good. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I guess I can... Uh, can talk a little about getting lucky enough to check out uh, Supercross last night. There you go. Um, Also, an interesting thing about Supercross that I noticed is that I think of all... I mean, and I don't watch motocross, but I think that's basically like a different season of the same riders. Like, you see a lot of the same riders in Supercross and motocross, Mm -hmm. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, But compared to what I have noticed in road racing... It seems like the majority of road racers are really young. But then when you look at supercross and motocross, where I would actually think you need to have more physical endurance, Mm -hmm. like, it's very difficult. I'm wondering, uh, there's more older, like, I mean, our age, (laughs) guys. And so I thought, wow, okay, that's probably not what I expect, but I don't know. It just struck me as interesting that when I think about mm. professional road racers and GP, I think of the Marqueses and the Pedrosas and guys that are, you know, under 25 as being the majority, you know, Rispoli, British Superbike. So mm-hmm. when I when I was watching these guys get introduced last night, they're family men. They've got like several kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that the GP guys aren't, but they're they're older. Mm. And so... I thought that was awesome. I also <laughs> thought it was awesome is I was really struggling to find parking. The entire Anaheim Stadium oh. was just full nice. of people. So that, before I even entered, that was awesome. Because I haven't been to an event that had motorcycles attached that had such a great turnout of people. Like, that is, that was just blew me away. I mean, Daytona, sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, World Superbike or... Uh, you know, yeah. sad attendance, um, MotoGP, not very great either. So you have like three nights of this. And, and as far as I've talked with other people, each, the, the previous one and this one, same amount of attendance. It was, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent full of the stadium, mm-hmm. but Angel Stadium was packed, pretty full, pretty packed. Cool. And so that in alone was uh, pretty awesome. And Basically, I, uh, I, I chatted a little bit with, uh, with Chris from Dispatch who handles a lot of Honda and Dainese communication and I was asking him, you know, who manages the, this kind of thing and can they ever be like a contract player for AMA or some of the road racing? Because clearly, however they're packaging this and marketing it mm-hmm. is working. And he warned me, if this is your first, you know, Supercross, by the way, note that it is going to be very showy (laughs) and lots of pomp and circumstance, Mm -hmm. but, you know, also really great racing. And I sit down and literally they've got like several screens, LED screens set up
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and fireworks inside the stadium. Mm -hmm. And it is very showy. And so the guys.
0: It's a good show. It's
1: like the it's like wrestling almost where you have like you can pick your theme song that you enter to mm-hmm. and some guys will walk through crowds like high five. So just like wrestling yeah. when they're entering like the wrestling ring and they've got this
0: song and they're but walking the in and is they're real. All tough. But the racing is real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: that's, that's the difference.
0: That's but they're how, walking all tough and they're high five and probably how they get people so, in there. Yeah, so then you have
1: that entrance, mm-hmm. or you can ride in, so mm-hmm. they'll play a song, or, mm-hmm. or your song, or whatever, and they'll have, like, your name and everything yeah. up, and then you'll ride around the track, and, you know, wheelie, and high five, and whatever. Or, you can also play, like, this video, and just stand and, like, wave to people. Well, hmm. there is this one guy that not only had his own theme song, but made his own marketing video. Ooh. But also rode around the track, and I was like, look at this guy, That's he's taking crazy. all of this stuff to the extreme, and uh, and one of the coolest guys that, that I saw, um, I'll see if I can pull up his video, I'm not sure entirely if it's available on mm-hmm. the internet, but I, I imagine it is, Chad Reed, so sweet. Um, mm-hmm married has a has a at least one little boy and his little boy was like the highlight of this video basically the kids in school and he hears his dad pull up in this big truck and he jams to the door for his backpack he's got to be like five maybe jams grabs his backpack and you see like this giant truck with bikes in the back and this guy's in and he looks down and he's like hey you want to go you know, playing in the dirt and the kids are just like, yes. And so you see the kid like buckled in in the back of this truck and he's all excited and they're going out and he's got his little matching gear and he's got a little Aww. bike and he's like father and son riding and he's like cheering him on. And it was just so adorable. I can totally see why he was kind of like a fan favorite. And so that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. I, and you know, I, it's interesting when you think about that and you think about, you know, Superbike and, and GP and whatnot, I don't know that people uh, market themselves enough, you know? Like, everyone has, like, a personality, but you got to dig for it. It's not, like, right out there, kind of like how these guys are. So I wonder if making yourself more personally available to uh, fans would, you know, potentially draw in more people and more interest. Because I noticed between... um, What was it? The AAA Speedway, the three the three race series that the RX did, and then I also noticed flat track as well as supercross. They all have like this almost the full day before the races start, where they more or less make themselves available as well as the paddock. So people just literally come for this you know, time frame before the race starts to hang out with people and see the different bikes sitting around mm-hmm. and talk to the factory teams and, mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, hang out. So it's kind of like the pre-party before the race. And I think that that also is something that really doesn't happen as much in, in, um, AMA and, and GP. So I don't know if that, if somehow bringing more of that would help, but. Anyway, that was just an observation. The actual racing last night was pretty crazy. Once you got to the final races, there was some, uh, you know, I think that the phrase goes, rubbing is racing. <laughs> and there was quite a bit of guys either making their own uh, technical mistakes where they overshot and they mm-hmm. whipped a little too hard and went off the track and uh, lost their first place standing or got knocked out by another person. So it was uh, pretty tense at the end there, but... Uh, I would say, all in all, very fun. Very fun to watch.
0: Yeah, whenever I watch Supercross on TV, it's always really exciting because they're in such a tiny, it's all indoor, and so it's really, it's like a small cramp. I don't know, not small, but, I mean, it's kind of small. Definitely cramped. (laughs) Yeah, and there's like 30 of them, and they're all trying to get to the same corner, and it's really exhilarating because inevitably somebody, like, tumbles over outside or crashes into someone else or rolls you know there's always some pile up i don't know if that's why a lot of people watch but it's really exciting because they do a lot of jumping and flipping and you know you can tell some sometimes they do little shows in the air you know it's which is exciting and it's a little it's really fast paced there's no like build-up it's just like it seems like they're always going and then you know, it just—it's all—it's moving so fast. You never lose it. You—it's impossible to not be interested. You know what I mean? Like you're just yeah. watching the whole glued it, the whole time.
1: When you're when you're there and you're not following whatever the camera gives you, and ha- you have an opportunity to follow whatever, and you're sitting back and watching all of it. Um, I was there with Brittany Morrow, who was working uh, for Icon at Parts Unlimited, and I was asking her, "How the hell do you watch this? Because it is like ADD happening everywhere, (laughs) and like there are you know jumps over here, and people will go, oh, and you're like, wait, why'd you do that? And you're looking around, and the the course is so jam packed, like I could never do something like that because I don't have the kind of tunnel vision. I mean, I'm even going around a canyon corner, and for a split second, if a car, if I'm going around and there are no cars, and then suddenly a car presents itself, for just a split second, I lose my concentration. Yeah, me too. And, and I, I can't even imagine the level of concentration you need to be to, to know. Like, I mean, it's not like you're in between no. two white lines. It's just these little, been, you know— um, yeah, hay bales or bunkers right. that but you're trying for, to follow around for people
0: like us who don't do it every day and haven't been doing it every day since they were like two then it's sure. it's like wow but you know these guys and girls they're they've been doing it since they were they could walk they've been on motocross bikes and they've been riding so it's just the, not the a amount, amount of deal. concentration
1: is yeah. insane i'm sure and your lines always changing because you've got all these other people like you said jamming up in the corner yeah. so yeah i mean i just I can't imagine the level of focus that you need to compete in a race like that. Let alone, you've got like one day to practice and the track's always different. I mean, if, if I were to tell you, hey, Joanne, let's go race at Austin next week. Well, you kind of already know what the Austin track is like because it's never going to change. But if we were doing motocross or supercross, it's like, hey, yeah, we're going to go, you know, race in Anaheim next weekend. Well, the track's going to be different. I think the track is actually different for this hmm. series hmm. every time. Oh, Wow. I think they change it up every time because the way that the events are planned out, as I was told at Angel Stadium, with the fact that there are three Supercross races within the month of January, and and they do some other Monster Truck stuff, they basically level it, redo it for a Monster Truck event in between, and then the following week they have a totally different track built up. It's not like that Supercross track straight stays up from like the seventh or whenever the first one was, and then continues on. Like it's it's crazy. So kudos to you guys, man. I mean, Supercross, not only is it crazy endurance, but uh, it's just, I I just can't imagine the level of focus.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like crazy. Just adrenaline, super adrenaline, super, you're pumped the whole time. And yeah, it's definitely crazy. I try to catch it every now and then on TV because there's actually a lot of, they televise on ESPN. I think it's the, um, is it the Texas Motor Oil series? No, there's, there's a series that they... Uh that's all I see always on ESPN two or ESPN and it's more popular, I think, to stream and broadcast supercross and motocross racing than it is road racing, sadly. Um, Yeah. Who knows why that is. But um if you have a chance to support your local motocross racing community, definitely go check out a race, bring your kids. It's definitely a good family thing because it's not like absolutely no blood or violence. or I mean, it's, people are crushing, but, uh, you know, it's all in a fairly safe, controlled environment. And um, the racers are, you can tell, they're really excited and, and happy to be there. And it's fun for everybody. It's pretty, pretty cool stuff, I think. So, oh, one other just quick congratulations. You definitely want to say hi to... Um, Shalina Mereda for winning in Qatar. She's been out there racing and I don't know what the class is that she's uh, competing in, but it looks like she, she podiumed and won first place. So congratulations to her. I believe she was in Qatar for that win. So she's a, she's a Bay area girl. She's from Petaluma. So visit her Facebook page give her a nice little congratulations on her win as well and then we'll also post links to leah's facebook page so you can go like that and give her some support and um you know say hi to your fellow women writers and so speaking of women writers um i think that's it for our stories did you have anything else
1: Um, Maybe just a quick mention before I forget, but uh, I did an interview with Long Riders Radio back in November, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, regarding my trip and uh, a couple other things, podcast, etc. And that just came out within the past week. So if you are only a listener on our podcast on iTunes and you probably weren't aware of it when I posted it on Twitter or Facebook – then go ahead and check out Long Riders Radio, three words. You can look them up. They're on iTunes as well, and you can download that episode. I think it's episode 17, but you can't miss it. It says Adventure Goddess on it. Plenty of shout-outs to everybody, including my lovely co-host. Thanks.
0: All right, so one thing that kind of came up for me this week, and I certainly want to your opinion on is you know I made a I made a post on my social feeds and and hopefully you saw it but I I put a stat out there which by the way is um, from the MIC and I should probably um, add a note to that as well but this the number now when you talk about percentage of women writing in the United States is around 25 is what their you know their research says and whenever you see any stats about women writers, it's coming from the MIC. So if you see news stories and it says, according to so and so, 20% of women are writing, it's all from the MIC. They all use the same source for this information because they're the ones who do this research. So if you see it, it's going to be coming from them. And they do it every, I want to say they do this research every five years. Or four years, and the last time they did it was in two thousand eight or something. So, the um, this stat came out last year, I think in November or end of last year is when they announced these results, and that was from data collected, I think, in twenty thirteen or twenty twelve, because mm-hmm. they it takes some time to collect the data and then you know put it together or whatever. So, um, so the 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 consensus of number you know the number now is twenty five percent. However, if you actually read read their stats, only twelve percent of that of the hundred of the one hundred are actually driving. so half of that twenty five percent is passengers, and the other half are us driving and operating. It's not twenty five percent as drivers only 12 really yes so i downloaded the stat kit or i had cam send me the stat kit and um yeah because actually that number i found it on um uh women riders now too she reported the story as well when i first looked at it so women on bikes is a different number because i thought
1: it was 25 percent riders
0: wow sadly it's it's half and i'm opening the um we'll post a link to this um stat And if you Google, you'll see the stories like WRN reported it. Like they, I think they were one of the first people to write an article about it. And it was, I think in December or whatever, but I'm opening up my little media kit now to double check it. But, um, owners versus writers are two different numbers. Mm. Um, so yes. So from 2003 to 2012, there's been a 3% increase in the number of owners, and then there's been a definitely a huge increase in um, the percentage of, of riders. So for um, ownership, it was 9.6% in 2003, and it's 12.5% in 2012. For total riders, it was 18.4% in 2003, and now it's 24.8% in 2012. So the term riders includes both owners and non-owners who have operated a motorcycle um, in the at any time in the previous 12 months prior to the survey. So, and, and of course, like, they can't, you know, there's no tracking system where every state reports how many women are registered in the DMV databases. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's no system so the MIC has to come up with they've come up with their own way to to get this information and I want to say they use a reputable research company to assist them but it's also really hard to get more accurate numbers because there I think are a lot of women who are there who are the primary primary operator of the vehicles but they don't register their names on the vehicle so like you're married you and your um, husband have two or three bikes and it just so happens that he does all the paperwork and he goes to the DMV so he puts his name on everything you know it's like uh, so there's that kind of discrepancy and oh there's no there's no way to track used bike sale like there's no like you know reporting for used vehicles so you, you can certainly contact companies like Cowie or Honda and go hey how many bikes, motorcycles did you sell to females? And then you can get a really cool number that way. So I don't know if they're getting it that way and if they're using a few different methods. But, I mean, basically, only 1 one to 2, 1 to one 1.5 out of 10 motorcycle owners is a woman. So that really only puts us at, well, they say is 12.5%. Mm. But when 4... Writers are women. That so makes a, me sad. I know it makes me sad too. I mean, it, it's it's great because more women are on the vehicles, and I'd like to say that that twelve and a half percent number. Maybe you could add a half a percent or even a percent to it, just because you know they can't call every person in, in the United States. You know what I mean? Like you know the numbers sure. are probably, you could overestimate just a smidge. So I like to think that at least 15% of owners are women. So
1: Yeah, the sad part is that the reason you can't tap DMV stats was because of the uh, the stalker case that happened years ago that made it impossible sure. for even, and, you know,
0: companies yeah and probably the politics of it you can't just call the name yeah i'm doing a study could you could you give me all Mm -hmm. this personal information about people that i don't know (laughs) you know so there's privacy yeah i mean
1: part of me wishes that there could just be like a box you Mm -hmm. know yeah uh check if female check if purchasing a motorcycle or a car and then that particular you know know, tab is made available
0: you know they have that that information DMV, they know. They they know how many women registered motorcycles or how many dealers registered for them, but giving yeah, out that just info f- is not going to happen.
1: Well, it's also costly, too, because if sure. there isn't someone dedicated at the DMV to sit there and go through it and segregate the personal stuff from the very generic, I mean, that's – I think sure. that's probably the bigger issue. But it's,
0: it's more that – yeah. it's not like there's a cooperation, you know, set up in place sure. where you can call a hotline and get info to 50 different DMV databases and get this information so the
1: motorcycle liaison
0: <laughs> and i would have to say that for me these numbers are pretty close at least in terms of on a day-to-day basis the ratio of customer female customers that i would see at my last job and this job it's definitely about one in five, maybe eight. It's not one in two. It's not half, I I wish I wish half my customers were women. But really, on a day to day basis, if I counted, it would only be out of 10, I'd see maybe two women, maybe three, but not five, not eight. And those numbers um, need to be higher. So I posted that because to me, that, 12, that 25% versus the 12% makes a huge difference in, not in just in math, but in terms of gearing up and, and those numbers need to be higher in order for there to be better choices. However, there are many, many other factors involved in this number in terms of gear, because that's a common complaint is that we don't have enough choice. And it's all driven by these numbers, because 12% is not enough. 25% should definitely be enough. I mean, it should be more, right? However, if you've ever worked in a shop, and not really very many people have, there's not very many of us out there that work in shops every day and, and do this for a living. So if you have never worked in a shop selling apparel, you have no idea you really don't have any idea how difficult it is to persuade people to put on gear it's it's a constant struggle and it's it's my job but it's not as easy as it sounds and the other thing is it's not as easy to sell them and get them to purchase this product so you know we want more choices But we can't get those choices unless we convince others to wear this gear and and spend money on it. That's really, really difficult because convincing someone to buy a bike and go riding is one thing. But then, oh, I need to go spend two grand or a grand on clothes. It's not easy. And I wish it were as easy as going into a department store like a Marshall's and having racks and racks and racks of clothing, but it's never going to be that way. And, um, it just makes me really upset because I've struggled for a long time, you know, eight years now I've been doing this and I'm, I don't make money doing this. This is like, the I mean, now I actually have a job <laughs> where I get to sell things, but, um, you know, as far as blogging and spending time to Uh, put information out it's it's not easy and it's it's impossible to find but I have put out what I can and what really irritates me is when people say things like there's nothing for me and that's only true in say one percent of a hundred women maybe three or four percent at the most But if 10 women come into my store of varying shapes and sizes, I can promise you that I can gear up half of them immediately. I don't even have to look at them. If it's it's a variety of women, I can do it. I know I can. I can't do it when you're at the 0.0001% of the female population in terms of size and weight, and you can't expect me to. And, And there are many reasons why um, due to industry, the way the industry works, due to the way manufacturers work. There's so many reasons, and it's because of this, um, lack of information. I'm going to write a really dedicated, long post about this. I've already started drafting to give you some information about why it's so hard and why things aren't the way they are. But to be really blunt here, and I'm probably going to lose some readers and some fans by saying this, but... There are some extremely overweight and underweight people who will never gear. They'll never be able to find gear. And I, God, I wish I'm. I wish I could snap my fingers and make you an outfit. And of course, you can always go custom to get things. But you'll never have the choices that those of us who are in the middle range, you know, the 20 percentile to the 80, 90 percentile, will have in this industry in this particular segment of of um motorcycling it's it'll never happen unless 80 percent of riders become women if we overtake the male riding market then we will but it's just not going to happen otherwise and you can't expect it to now the other um thing that's an issue too is There aren't enough. There are no choice. Let's just say it. There are no choices for. I would have to say three quarters, maybe ninety percent of the female riding population in the U.S. to go shopping and find things. Even you, like you're in L.A., the heart of motorcycling in the United States, right? You've got many companies. Alpenstars is headquartered there. C.D. is USA is there. Speedy USA is there. A lot of companies. But do we have big stores like is there an alpine star store that you can go to? No, or is there a speedy store no even even in this amazing you know socal network of riding, you can't even find the choices except at these few stores that you have to really look for um and actually and I, it's there's a lot it's a there.
1: F- financial risk I mean it really is.
0: To, that to completely,
1: too. fully stock every single brand in one store yeah. and commit to selling X number of sizes in a product, it's, it's a financial risk yeah. because You're of more, that 25%, yeah. you know, on or off or whoever's riding or yep. being a passenger, yep. how many of those is going to be interested in A, gear, B, this brand, C, fit, you know, and yep. so it's it really sadly it all boils down to money and uh, that's that's even something that happened in pretty much the only store that was aimed for women the one that um doris uh, i want to say schumacher yeah uh, the one that uh, had one outside of sioux city that that store had to close its doors so um well, the pretty much only fixed store in the country dedicated to carrying women's gear uh could not handle uh or get rid of enough uh, product to sustain itself. So, you know, if no one's jumping on such an, an obvious opening in L.A., there's a pretty valid reason for it, and that would most likely be, you know, money.
0: There's It's money for sure because it's all a gamble up front. There's no, like, oh, well, we'll just put a few dollars here and then see what happens. It's all or nothing. You don't – you can't provide – Options if you don't fully pr- provide options. So it's tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest um, in just even one jacket for a woman. You know, it's a lot of money and time, and they have to have enough reason to do so. So, in thinking about it, it really is a broader issue. It's not just about motorcycle gear it also comes down to other things that you you don't even think about as a consumer like women in positions of power such as sarah like sarah Schilk, you know our good friend at schuberth she is like the head of marketing how how often do we see that in all these brands you know i i would say the majority of these brands have men making all the decisions and men deciding what they're going to invest the apparel in or whether a jacket for another lady's jacket gets made or whatever. How many women do we have, women riders even, not just females, but how about women who ride motorcycles, who understand our needs, who know what it means to be in the front and how that makes a huge difference in what the gear choices are we need that we need that so desperately we need more Sarah's in order for us to get what we really need because how else are how else are these decisions and how else you know can that conviction be made the other huge huge problem I think equally as much as the kind of men to women ratio is that half of the brands available And I would say the majority of the best brands, meaning the ones who make stuff that works really, really amazingly well, you know, like climb gear or Dianese gear, gear that's really driven and designed for us to ride in and operate our motorcycles and not just look pretty in. They're European. And although they have American contingents here, they're not us. We're different from they are but they can't just make stuff for us. They have to make stuff for their, for their other customers as well. And I think that's the biggest hurdle because you, it's really hard to bridge that gap. How do they make enough stuff to sell you know, to us? And then they also need to sell to people in your other writers around the world too, right? They need gear. So how do they balance all that? And the other thing is we're just different. I think in terms of um, women writers, I think there's more of us here. I don't even know statistically internationally what it is, but I'm betting that if you took all the women who ride around the world outside of the United States and you added it up, I don't think it would be as close as to what we have here. I feel like a lot of women ride here in in comparison. Wait, were you
1: just saying that the percentage of women who ride outside this country is less than the one that rides inside this country?
0: That I would not crazy. agree with that. I I know it sounds crazy, but I Especially think...
1: if you include Vespas and scooters, because India's population...
0: Very true. Granted,
1: the amount of... The percentage of riders, actual motorcyclists, India's is population is low. The percentage right. is low. But because the volume of people that occupy that country is so high, true. they totally dwarf the, I the guess numbers I, in ours.
0: I guess I'm not thinking of actual riding population, but... Like the women who would buy this gear, like the women who need the gear and are actively looking for it and shopping for it. Because let's be honest, mothers and daughters in India who are riding little motorcycles to get to the market, that's not what they need. They don't need anything that we have. They're in a different world and they're riding for very different reasons. So I guess in my mind, I'm thinking of the actual customer base of women who would wear gear and and are actually sellable to. Cause that's a different market. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like different than the utilitarian market.
1: Sure, it's it's apples and oranges. Because when you think about India's riding population, they're riding. The majority of Indians are riding for commuter use, and we're riding
0: for yes,
1: yeah, transportation and we're riding for enjoyment. Yep. Um, even though a, a great number of us commute to work on motorcycles, yep. that still is nothing in comparison to the, you know, kind of riding as a hobby kind of thing yep. as a
0: and uh, maybe that's where I'm in my mind like what I'm trying to say is you know because yeah. I mean? there's a Difference, I think. In, Likewise, in, like Italy, it.
1: too. I mean, yeah. the women that ride Vespas that get from point A to point B, as well as Amsterdam, they're not, you know, gearing up in, nope. in full gear, but they're also stuck in traffic, probably going like two miles an hour. Yep. And, you know, it's That's what not as. And, and their countries, not, not discounting gear, but I mean, we're like I said, apples and oranges and the countries are very, very, very well versed in the fact that motorcyclists exist. They're everywhere. And the awareness level is so much higher.
0: I started new Pinterest boards and Pinterest is public. You do not have to join up like Facebook to see my posts. So I made a bunch of boards there. So I think it's just pinterest.com slash gear check. And I started new boards by fit. So I have a long and lean jacket board. I have a curvy girl jacket board. Um, I'm going to come up with some other boards. I think I did curvy pants. Uh, So I'm going to try to put up some more ideas like that for you. And then, of course, make it seasonal. So, you know, if you're in the summertime, you'll see the mesh jackets that are great for busty girls or whatever. And, um, you know, if you have suggestions, certainly let me know. I'd like to pin more, but I think that hopefully will help some of you out in, in finding things. Um, but they're, they're out there. They're for 90% of us. They are, they are out there. It just takes time. Well, I think that concludes episode 59. Thank you for listening to my rant. Um, we'll certainly post, um, links to all the stories we talked about. And, um, we certainly, you know, we always want to hear from you. So in the meantime, visit us on Facebook at the Motorific Podcast and at Motorific.com. And we will catch you back in a couple weeks. Thanks. Bye.